This is the last chapter of the book of Daniel. I think that song is a fitting introduction because it reminds us that this book of Daniel is a story of a young man who was ripped from his home and his family, who lived a whole life that was faithful to God. He proved that it is wiser to trust in the Lord than to submit to the ways and the kingdoms of this world. And then at the end, God promises that he will be in control throughout time. And as we come to chapter 12, there's a lot going on, a lot of big and grand things, which is pointing to the very end of time. And so that's where we are now, as God is still showing that he is in control and will be there for his people. Let us read God's word. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, There shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you that you have revealed things that are clear, and yet we confess, reading this chapter, that there are some secret things that belong to you. And so would you help us to come humbly, to be shaped by the clear truths that you've given, and to be willing to wait for the rest. Would we be a people who are changed because we have heard and rejoiced and internalized the truth of your rule? We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Well, when I was 14 years old, I read the first novel of an incredible series. Uh, 
And I, I read this novel and it was about Christians who are living in our time who, who get raptured. They get caught up and they just, they, they disappear from the earth. Their clothes stay there and there are people who thought they were Christians, but they find out they're not because all the other Christians are gone. And the story gets pretty incredible. There's this, this man who brings in world peace and he has plans for a temple in Jerusalem. And, and then there are these, these fireballs that come down from heaven and there's these celestial horses riding around and there's these scorpions with stingers. And if you're not a believer, they sting you and you want to die, but you can't no matter what you do. I was reading this and I thought, man, this is intense. I've, I've never heard anything like this from my pastor. Um, a lot of Christians talk about the end time. We all do. What's it like? What's it going to be like? The Bible uses a lot of different words to talk about the last days. Sometimes it is literally the last days, the latter days, the end of days, the last hour, last hours. It's natural to wonder about the end times and, and what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. And we try to glean some information from books like Daniel and Revelation and think, what would it like be to live in the last days. Well, what if I told you you were already there? What if you were already there? Well, what does this passage teach? We're going we're to look at the end times today, and we're going to start by looking at a ground view teaching of Daniel. What can we learn from Daniel 12? And then we're going to turn to the New Testament to get a little bit more definition and say, what does it matter for us today? How can we apply this? So let's just look at it from Daniel's perspective. Right? It's very, some of this is very clear. Some things in Daniel are very clear. The end times will be marked by great persecution. Chapter 1, there will be a time of trouble since there has never been. Verse 1, verse 7, it talks about the shattering of the holy peoples. God's people will be so persecuted and stressed, it will seem like they are broken and destroyed. There's going to be great persecution. It's also going to be marked by vindication and resurrection. This is one of the clearest passages on the Old Testament that talks about a final bodily resurrection. And God's people who were oppressed will be raised and they'll be given new life and it will be, they will be pronounced righteous. And those that are persecuting them, it says, will be ashamed. That talks about another thing. It's clear there will be a final judgment. Those who oppress God and his people will be set away from them. And live a life of eternal shame, which the New Testament talks about as judgment and punishment. So there's some very clear parts about what's going to happen. And, and yet, there are parts that are very unclear, isn't there? Unless you know something I don't, as you were reading some of that chapter with me. In fact, Daniel seems um, more confused than relieved. Right? The angel tells him these things and he says, ah, oh. Uh, so, so, right, there's, there's questions going on. One of the angels asks, verse 6, how long? When will this be? When will it come about? And, and then Daniel, in verse 8, after he hears this, he says, well, what will be the outcome of these things? How is this going to happen? These are questions that Christians are asking. And what answer does Daniel get when he says, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these things? It's kind of a stern but gentle, just mind your business, Daniel. Just go about your work. Trust God. He's in control. And you know, the same is true for you and for me. Whatever happens in history now, God is in control. 
Right? The, the good news of the Bible is not that you or I will have an easy, carefree life now, but that you will overcome and be raised with King Jesus when he comes back because he is the true king. And so although we should fight evil people and nations, it doesn't ultimately matter if Iran or Korea, North Korea or China would get the upper hand. Although we should pray and, and, and vote and strive for, for good leaders, it doesn't ultimately matter who is in the White House or who sits on the Supreme Court. God is in control. He has planned everything from beginning to end. And, and if you suffer for him, even to the point of giving him your life, you will be raised from the dead. That's, that's the wonderful message of Daniel. And almost all Christians would agree on this, no matter what we view we have on what the end times may have. Okay, so, but we do disagree on maybe some of the when and how. So, so, so can we learn anything? Well, maybe not really from Daniel, but we can learn a little bit more about the end times if we go to the New Testament. And I would like you to turn with me to John chapter 5 to read the teachings of Jesus. And this will be page 890 in the Pew Bible. What we think about the end times matters. We have uh, wonderful brothers and sisters in the Lord. The, the novels, the left behind novels that I, I mentioned in passing would be a, a very popularized version of what we might call dispensationalist thinking. That, that the future times are all towards the end. There'll be seven years of tribulation. Uh, brothers and sisters love the Lord. We can link arms in so many ways. We want to stress, stress that. But you know what you believe does matter. And it, you wouldn't have to take this position, but if you do believe that everything is, is still in the future, well, then maybe in some ways the action hasn't started. We're kind of in the middle waiting for it to happen. But that's not how Jesus describes the end times. Jesus says the last days, the end times have begun because I have come. Listen to what Jesus says. We're going to read verses 24 through 29 of John chapter 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And what Jesus says is that the end times have begun with me with a present spiritual resurrection. Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath in the beginning of this chapter. And so the teachers say, how can you do that? You're supposed to be resting on the Sabbath. By what authority do you do that? And Jesus says, I have the authority because I work with my father. But more than that, I have the authority to judge and raise life. And in the first few verses... Verses 24 to 27, he talks about what happens in the presence. I want you to notice just a few key words. First of all, he says the hour. There's a, a period of time. And this is a special hour. It's, in one hand, it is still coming. And yet, in another hand, it is already here. It's both here and it's not here. Well, 
What's happening in this hour? Jesus says, those who believe in me receive eternal life. And in the beginning, he's talking not about a physical bodily resurrection. He's talking about a present spiritual resurrection because he's talking about people will pass from death to life. But he's talking about the present. No one besides Jesus was raised from the dead. He's talking about the the new eternal life that people will have, implying, by the way, that in some ways, if you don't believe in Jesus, you are spiritually dead. That's what he's teaching. You are dead without faith in me. And he says, some of the dead will hear my voice and live. That's a present spiritual resurrection. It's it's here now. That's important to think about that, because often when you talk about eternal life, what do you think about? Think about all the future benefits. You talk about life with God and the new heavens and the new earth. Of course, that's true. But it's so much more than that. It means being given a new identity, a new a new name. It means the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You don't wait until you die for that to happen. It's here now. And why does this happen? Because God has given Jesus authority. Because he is the Son of Man. There Jesus is going back to Daniel 7, which is the central chapter of the book, where the one like the Son of Man comes and receives the kingdom at the culmination of time. Jesus says, I am that person. That is why I have the authority to do this. But it's more, not only is there a present hour where there is a present spiritual resurrection, but the end times will end with Jesus in a future physical resurrection. If you look at verses 28 and 29, when he talks about people coming out of the tombs, now it's very clear he's talking about physical bodies that will be resurrected to either experience eternal life or eternal judgments. And here you need to make no mistake. Jesus says that at the last days you will be judged by a perfect judge whose standard is absolute holiness. He cannot have anything less than perfect actions, thoughts, and words. And you will stand before him and your destiny will hinge on your performance. And if he would be, accept anything less, God would not be a good God. So the question for each one of us that Jesus asks is what record will God see when he looks at you? Yours or Jesus' perfect record? So, this will all happen in the future then. This future bodily resurrection, this future judgment, it's an hour that's still to come. So why does this make a difference? Why does this matter? An hour actually makes all the difference. You may have noticed, I don't know, did you notice that there's some similarities between these two passages? There's some, some key things that are very similar between John, um, Jesus' words in John and the passage in Daniel. I believe Jesus is directly referencing and maybe even quoting some of Daniel 12, which is one of the strongest passages on the resurrection. Just, just listen to Jesus. Listen to Daniel. I'm just going to read one of the verses again. Daniel 12, 2. Just, just listen, and then we'll, we'll stay here in John for a little bit. And many of those who sleep in the dust of earth, the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now remember, Jesus has already called himself the Son of Man. He's calling Daniel back into focus by using the Son of Man. Look at the similarities. Daniel 12, 2 talks about everlasting life. As far as I can tell, that's the only time that phrase is used in the Hebrew Bible. Jesus talks about eternal life. Very similar, looking back at that. 
Daniel talks about the resurrection of those who will who will wake up. And though he doesn't use the word tomb, it's very similar to what Jesus says when the dead will rise from the graves. It talks about the judgment at the end of times. They're parallel meanings. There's one more reason why I think Jesus has this passage in the back of his mind. Jesus uses the word hour. Simply a period of time. It's a way of referring to time. One of the translations of the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, has in Daniel 12.1 starting, not at that time, but it says this, at that hour. Now, it's a very little difference in meaning. It's, it's just a difference in word. But it's pretty rare, and I'm convinced that Jesus had that Greek translation in mind when he uses the hour here in John 5. Why does this matter? Well, there's two reasons. First, you see that Jesus is saying that the end times, when Daniel is looking at the end times, which seems to be one event with his coming, is actually one event but in two phases. Right? He, he comes and the hour is now here where he brings resurrection life spiritually to people. The end times has begun and yet it will not finish until the hour has come and people are physically raised. Right? That means that since Jesus has come, the end times is here. And that's what you see in Scripture. Maybe the clearest passage is Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, where the writer says this, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Now, God is, is merciful and patient. He has delayed his coming so that the gospel can go to all the ends of the world and he can bring all of his chosen people in. But do you realize that there is nothing that God has to do right now? Nothing more to defeat death and sin and the devil. It's done. The end times is here. It's taken care of. We're just waiting for him to come back. And what that means is that we are not just to sit around and, and wait for Jesus to come. The battle is now. Right? It's... Now, I would say, and I would, we can agree with uh, people who might have a different view that the end times is all in the future, it does seem in Scripture that right before Jesus comes back, persecution will get even worse. It will ramp up. It may be of global proportions. So there is a sense in which you will see intensification. But the end times are now. What do you do with all the, the times? If you read Daniel and Revelation, you hear all these time periods. Um, we read in chapter 12... Time, times, and half a time. If you read in Revelation, it's 1260 days or 42 months. That's all three and a half years. It's even more confusing because we'll talk about it in a little bit, but there's two more days, a set of days in Daniel chapter 12, what are different. But what do you do with that three and a half years? That's, that happens, uh, that, that shows up in Revelation and Daniel. Our, our dispensationalist friends would say, well, that right now we're in the church age. And in the future, when the end comes, the church is completely removed and raptured and God will continue his plan with Israel. And there will be, depending on how you view it, either seven or three and a half literal years of, of tribulation, of, of persecution. And, and then and then Jesus will come back. I believe that's a well-intentioned but misunderstanding uh, interpretation of the New Testament. Right? The, the end times begin with Jesus. And... 
although it's not as clear as some things, I believe that the sacrifices being ended and the, uh, the abomination of desolation that we actually read in Daniel and Jesus talks about really is the end of the temple ministry and then the Romans coming in and destroying the temple. And then you have the three and a half years that are going on. It's an undetermined period that seems like it's going on for a while, a time. It seems like it's going on forever. When will it finish? Times. And then as God acts decisively, it comes to a screeching halt in half a time. Now, if you believe that all numbers in Scripture must be interpreted literally, you're just thinking, I'm crazy right now. It's like, wait, Pastor Andrew, how can... How can three and a half years uh, be anything than three and a half years? But you're saying that it's actually from when Jesus came to when he came back? How, how do you make sense of that? Well, you have to understand that numbers in, in apocalyptic literature like Revelation and Daniel usually are interpreted symbolically. You have to have a good reason otherwise. Just like you wouldn't normally interpret cartoons as history, right? You'd have to have a good reason for that. And we can't go into it today, but if you think I'm crazy, I would just encourage you on your own to go to Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. And that is in the middle of the book of Revelation. And that story is best understood as the story of God's people from Jesus coming to the end when he comes back. And how long does it say that will be? 1260 days. Three and a half years. So I understand that the bottom line is that the end times or now. So I want you to listen to what Jesus says here. This is so important. He says that God's plan from all eternity, that prophecy from Daniel about being raised from the dead, being judged for everlasting life, that's all talking about me. That's what Jesus is saying. If you've grown up in the church, you know that it's all about Jesus. That, that might not sound very impressive. I just want you to stop and think what his hearers would have been thinking if they heard and understood what he was saying. Wait, Jesus, you're telling me that because of you, some people are going to experience a completely new life now? And this sweeping prophecy in Daniel is all about you? And that you are going to raise people up and determine their fates at the end of times? And if people make you their Lord and put their hope in you and pin their trust on you and their entire life in you, you will raise them up at the last day? Is that what you're saying, Jesus? says, yes, that's right. That's what I'm saying. There is nobody, nobody else who talks like this. Nobody who makes these claims. But Scripture says this is reality. I want us to camp out here a little bit more because humans have always been asking, what is reality? What is truth? We might ask that even more today when we can create our own realities. I don't know if you've seen the... um, ads for the Oculus Quest. It's the new Facebook virtual reality gaming system where you can fight Darth Vader and you can throw things around and you can do all kinds of cool things. And there's this person's kind of stodgy looking who says, I am reality. And then you do all things around him. So why am I even here if you're breaking all the rules of physics? Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that virtual reality is bad. It's a, it's a tool. I'm sure I'll enjoy it someday. We might use it for work someday. It's incredible. But our technology can make it easier for you to believe that just because you can create a reality, it means that there is no ultimate reality. Do you know what real reality is? you know what's ultimately real? It is your body and your eternal soul. And one day, 
unless Jesus comes back first, your heart will stop and you will die. And there is nothing in virtual reality that can change that. You can't conjure anything to alter that. And you will stand before a righteous God and he will either pronounce blessing or judgment. So I have to ask you, where do you stand with Jesus today? Is he your Lord? Have you surrendered your life to him? If you died right now and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Been a nice guy? Try to be a good person? I love animals. He said, I have no hope except for the blood of Jesus who was given in my place, who died for me, who loved me, and placed himself where I deserved. I claim the blood of Jesus my Lord. I ask you today, where do you stand? And if you don't know, call out and confess him as God. The end times begins with Jesus, and the end times will finish with Jesus. So what do we do now? <laughs> now that we're in the end times. Well, the message of Daniel is if you, if you experience persecution, God will get you through. You will be vindicated and resurrected. Well, we're not going to spend time on that. We've been talking about that the entire book of Daniel. For us today in America, the message is in the meantime, be faithful. Be faithful. What does it mean for you to be faithful when Satan's tactic isn't to break you, but to put you to sleep, to get you distracted? Well, two things. First of all, don't get super caught up in when the end times are coming. In fact, you can, you can flip back to Daniel 12. Don't get so wrapped up in the end times that you lose your effectiveness for the Lord now. In Daniel and the New Testament, God gives you enough to know what will be happening, enough to live on, and what will eventually happen and don't waste any more energy trying to figure it out. In verse 4 of chapter 12 in Daniel, the Lord says, the angel says, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. This verse is a, is a little hard to interpret. How I think it's best understood is this shutting up and sealing is preserving. Kind of like our Declaration of Independence, some of our important documents are preserved behind glass so that we can see and observe them and know who we are. It's there. It's enough. Other people will run to and fro. I think kind of like the prophet Amos, where people are running around other places from God, trying to find meaning, trying to find knowledge. They're not going to get it. It's right here. It's not might, might not be all that you want, but it's enough. And then in verse 8, where Daniel says, how is this going to happen? And the angel says, mind your business, Daniel. He goes on and talks about a series of, of days, 1,290 days and 1,335 days. I think that's a humility check for us. Just when you think you know, whatever your position is, just when you think you know that three and a half years and you've got your system all figured out. There's more. I mean, it could just mean you're faithful beyond the persecution, but I think this is saying you just can't know everything. And here's the punchline. Verse 13. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Daniel, go back to your scrolls and your filing cabinets. Be a bureaucrat for the glory of God. Be faithful, and you will stand at the end. That is enough. 
And if you, by the way, see someone who can tell you the exact moment when Jesus is coming, just run. Just run. Okay? Don't waste your time. Just run. The second way is you should shine like the stars by loving others. Shine like the stars by loving others. As Christians living in the end times, we should be radically ordinary in the way we sacrifice our lives for others. Radically ordinary. First is we love the people of God around us and those who are our neighbors. Now, if you're following me closely, you're probably, you might be questioning, wait, 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 we went from the end times to loving people. How, how did we get there? Um, well, I've been thinking about this much through the book of Daniel because it's, it's really been a kind of a slow burden on my heart, a slow burn. But the main point of the book is trust God. He will be faithful. We never want to lose that point. Okay, that's, that's kind of what the first part of our service was about. We sang, He will hold me fast, that the first part of the sermon's about. But how does Daniel describe the saints who trust God? They shine. They, they, they're, they're noticeable. They stand out. They make a difference. They reflect God's glory. For these saints, it's in the midst of persecution that refines them. They give evidence of God's glory and His work in His life in the midst of oppression. That tells me that no matter where you are, whether you're under direct persecution or, or you're here in America where we have many privileges, you can't just sit passively in the end times. God wants you to engage and live a life in a way that it will shine to his glory. We're not persecuted much right now in America. So how do we shine like the stars? Well, we, we talk about proclaiming the lordship of Jesus. I think that would be the actual main application. But we do that. As we invite people to church, as we talk with them, as the gospel is preached here, I want to focus on perhaps the second part of that, of shining, that we live like people who demonstrate that we've experienced the radical sacrifice of the gospel we talk about, of this end times resurrection life that we talk about. And you do that as you give up yourself for loving other people and meeting the needs of your neighbors. I want us to challenge just to think about loving other people for two reasons today. First, when we think about these big picture doctrines, which give us such comfort, which are the, the bedrocks of our life, when, when sickness, when cancer, when persecution comes along, we can say and believe, he will hold me fast. I also want us to realize that these still make a difference in our everyday little actions in life. It's not just the big times, they play an impact in our, our, the little parts of our lives too. I love what, first, what Peter says in 1 Peter. He says, the end of all things is at hand. By the way, talking of the end times, right? Therefore, be sober-minded and controlled for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another. He says, show hospitality to one another. Because you're in the end times, show gospel love. Amen. And second, because in America, we as Christians, let's be honest, can be sleepy. We should actually be humbled that God has given us an easy assignment here. And we are not sharpened by persecution and pressed to cry out daily for God's his, his, his mercy. A prayer we should have is, God, keep me hungry to know and serve you. Don't let me coast. Save me from materialism and idolatry of this world. Save me from the soul-sucking self-centeredness that says, be true to yourself, fulfill yourself. Now, I will say, I know. I've seen the deacons work. I know people... Faith, Church, in Action, there are many ways that you, you guys are 
awesome that God is working. Praise God for that. And you know what? It doesn't necessarily mean that when we shine by stars like stars, everyone will see it right this minute. Maybe it's just the Lord at this moment. But isn't it true that we can, we can absorb that and, and get sleepy? So by God's grace, we must be different. We must be radical, generous in the way that we look outward in our giving. I don't know what about you, but from what I've seen, the overall impression is that giving and volunteerism is, is decreasing in our society. You, you, you have people who are doing it in incredible amounts, but, and it, but many people who are not anymore. That means that we as God's people should stand out even more as where we can, how we can. We become giving people in a way that costs. And of course, when we do this, we do this not because we want to feel good, but because we're experiencing the gospel. Uh, Elizabeth and I had a chance to just care for someone recently. The Lord brought him into our lives. We weren't looking for it. kind of dropped him on our lap. And he said, I don't want to inconvenience you. And I said to my new friend, I said, look, I follow Jesus. He allowed himself to be inconvenienced when he came down to this world to live for me. It's an honor to serve you. And that is our motivation. And so what you can say is, how, how can I shine like stars this year? Maybe for you, you say, I'm doing it. And this just reminds you, I do this not out of duty, but because it's the end times and God's love is being poured through me. That might be it. Or it might see, you know, I, I have some time. And it's time for me to be committed to something formal, like the Red Cross and Habitat for Humanity. Um, don't usually talk about that from the pulpit because we don't want to get the gospel and works mixed up. But you know what? We need Christians in areas where we can care and witness other people. Maybe you're in school and it is simply reaching out and helping someone who's struggling in math because you're good at it. Maybe you're tied up in your career and you, you don't have much, but you can actually care and pray for the people around you. Or you have a whole bunch of kids and your bandwidth is low, but, but you can bake some cookies or take soup to someone who's sick with your kids as an expression that God's love has made its way into your heart. It may be something very small, but it can be radical in the direction that it's appointed. But it's also ordinary. You know, we do not and cannot be the saviors of this world. As talking with the junior, senior, high Sunday school class today, we're talking about caring for people's needs. You grow up, at least I was young and idealistic, you want to change the world, and then you realize you can't. Only God can do that. And you can get burnt out. You can get disillusioned. You can get discouraged. We are simply normal people who have the Spirit, using the means of grace. We trust that, Daniel says, God is in control. He will do what he needs to most of you will be ordinary in the sense that you just are doing the ordinary thing that God has called you to do. Whether it's at work or your community or at home. So ask yourself, how is God calling me to shine like the stars this year? We're going to close and sing a song that I think is challenging to sing. And I think if you don't have a big view of God, it's overwhelming because the song talks about the brokenness and hurt of the world. Don't worry, musicians, I'll give you time to get up here. And if God is small and you're talking about how the world is wrong, then who's the Savior? We are. That's a problem.
Here's what I want you to do as we sing this song. I want you to remember the truths of this sermon. That Jesus is the Son of Man. He has the authority of life over death and death. He's already brought the end times in. He's already given you new life by sacrificing His. And so make this song your prayer that God would use you then to reflect that love by bringing people into your life, by giving you eyes to see those who are around you because you live in the end times. Just pray with me. Father, would you open our eyes to the incredible claims of who Jesus is. The audacity to claim that everything comes through him from all time, that he is the fulfillment of your plans. And yet where else can we go? Such love, such sacrifice, such boldness, such compassion, such power, such humility. Father, would we be able to remember as we follow him that we live in the end times. We're waiting for his return. And in the meantime, would you use us as your people to be a sign of what you have done through us and that that would draw people to put their faith in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.